everybody. Welcome to episode number 72 of the Between the Cracks podcast. I am your host, Bill, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Chris. Chris, how are you doing, buddy? Fine, I guess. I mean... <laughs> you did just get home from work, huh? <laughs> as you can tell, I am thrilled. We are running <laughs> way behind schedule. And we're running a little low on, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> motivation? There it is. But Chris, you know who wasn't running low on motivation? Who's that? Funny you ask, pal. The topic of tonight's episode. That's who. That's right, Chris. Tonight, we are going to be talking about the one and only Albert Johnson. Many of you may be saying, who in the hell is Albert Johnson? Well, you might know him better as the Mad Trapper of Rat River. That's right, Chris. Tonight, we are discussing the fugitive that sparked the largest manhunt in Canadian history. Pal, what do you think about that? Sounds like quite the crime, I guess. <laughs> well, we're going to get into that, but uh, I'm going to say that his crimes did not at least initially, did not warrant the, the huge manhunt that was to soon take place. But we're going to come to find out that things did certainly escalate very quickly <laughs> in this case. I guess we should add that we're talking about 1930s Canada. Yes. And uh, you can imagine, uh, when you go far enough north, that trapping and, and fur trade is uh, a bit like gold. In those days it really is and uh that's what caused all of the natives of the area to come to dislike mr johnson now before we give any more away as i always say every week and i'm sure everybody's getting sick of hearing it we need to go backwards to go forward i guess we should start our story as to how little old al johnson ended up in northern canada because from all accounts, he was not native to the area, and uh, I'll post a picture of him, and uh, you could probably make that assumption for yourself. But I'll tell you what, you'd fool me if you didn't think he was a native of the area, because he apparently knew the terrain better than the locals. Oh, it's crazy what this guy ends up doing. Let's get into it, shall we, Chris? So, as you mentioned, our story takes place in the early 1930s, more specifically in the Northwest Territories of Northern Canada, 1930s. So, as you said, Chris, you can imagine that there is probably next to no one around. This is a very isolated community. I mean, after all, we are <laughs> north of the Arctic Circle. The climate is certainly something that would not draw outsiders in. Basically, this is an area, for the most part, you have to be born in to want to stay there. Let's just put it this way. Right now, in the area that we're speaking of tonight, it is currently one degree Fahrenheit. And we're in November. We're still in fall, yeah. <laughs> and we're going to come to find out, pal, that when we really get into it, that some of the temperatures that took place during our manhunt that we mentioned were upwards of negative 40 degrees below. How, how do you even function? Well, if Al Johnson was still alive, we'd be able to ask him because he sure as hell did a good job at it. <laughs> so, Chris, as I said... You know, this is an area that doesn't really attract a lot of people. You're not there for the climate unless you have family there. 
unless you were born there, there's really no reason for you to be there. But there was one industry at the time that proved to be financially lucrative. And as you had alluded to before, Chris, the fur trade and fur trapping. Let's put it this way, because this we're, we're talking about the time of Great Depression right now. So this apparently was not an uncommon situation for the locals to witness. And, and that's people that they don't know are coming from the outside. And I'd imagine you really have to know what you're getting in because like we said with the temperatures and the terrain this is not for the faint of heart you can't just come up from uh you know new york after you uh just lost it all on the stock market and then decide that you're gonna start trapping animals and cutting their fur off i mean you're you're talking about seasoned people here but that's what happened in some cases you know People who had no idea what the hell they were doing headed north with the idea that they would be able to find a financially prosperous future. And it seems that Albert Johnson was one of those people. But, you know, we're talking about the very northern portion of Canada. So I'm not looking at this like it's like logging, you know, if you're in the Pacific Northwest or, you know, the oil industry, maybe that people come into the the, uh, Dakotas traveling a long distance. But we're talking about an area that is just so inhospitable. More specifically, Chris, we're talking about, oh, your hometown, Fort McPherson, which is a small hamlet in the Inuvik region of the Northwest Territories. Hometown? I've never been there before. (laughs) Exactly, Chris. But we have to ask ourselves, why Fort McPherson specifically? What the hell did the mad trapper of Rat River want with Fort McPherson? Well, perhaps because it was... Home to the original site of your favorite company, Hudson's Bay, which <laughs> spot on, <laughs> which was a Canadian fur trading business. Yeah, so I mean, this guy must have known the area to some degree because he knew where to go and where to start off because he walked into the Hudson Bay trading post with, I believe, some say upwards of two thousand dollars, and there were some reports of fourteen hundred dollars, but. You have to take into account that this was 1931. Oh, Chris, I forgot to mention, I am in the BTCRF, the Between the Cracks Research Facility. So let me use my inflation calculator and see exactly (laughs) what the hell I got here as far as $2,000 equating um, to today's money. uh, We have our analysts on it right now. Yes, in uh, 2021 money. Let's see what we got here. Okay. Give me a second. We're calculating. Chris, Chris, you're not going to believe this. If Albert Johnson showed up at the Hudson Bay trading post today, as of November 15th, 2021, he would have $36,393 in his pocket. Yeah, Chris, so he actually goes in there and starts purchasing all sorts of trapping equipment. Picture in your head that the natives in the area who have probably taken time to build up their business and struggle along the way, see this guy roll in, and we're going to talk about how the hell he got here, which is kind of funny, but you could see that they'd be pissed off because you got this newcomer coming in, flaunting all this money, buying all the equipment up, so I can understand them being pissed off. But, Chris, we must note that they must have been aware when the mad trapper of Rat River rolled in in his Mercedes, right? (laughs) Well, perhaps it was a little more unceremonious than that. How the hell did he get there? When uh, old Albie rolls in, down the Peel River, that is, he is coming in in a 1931 
do-it-yourself raft. <laughs> Dude, so someone with that kind of money, you wouldn't expect them to come <laughs> strolling into town on a makeshift raft in uh, the frigid Peel River. But even though it is July, we are still in Northwest Territories, so one could only assume that if old Albie fell into the Peel River during that time period, he would indeed be wearing his balls for a bow tie. <laughs> <laughs> I bet he would. But nonetheless, Chris, I guess he didn't fall in, and he made it down to uh, Fort McPherson and to the Hudson Trading Post, purchased all the goods that he needed, and set up shop to begin his career in the, the beautiful Northwest Territories as a fur trapper. Am I right? Nature Boy. <laughs> I'm in a funny mood, Chris. It's the it's the BTCRF. <laughs> We've got the BTCRF, and we're going to be meeting the RCMP. I, I feel like this is uh, this is fate. This is beautiful. Now, why the hell would the RCMP be rolling in? You know, it's not like old Al did anything wrong, right, buddy? <laughs> well, at first, I'd say maybe not. Just his presence alone, as you mentioned, kind of sparks you know, a little hatred from the locals because they don't want people coming into their space and potentially taking their business. So, and, and and also we should mention, this guy was not friendly at all. He barely spoke. As he stayed there for a while, they began to try to warm up to him and invite him to you know be part of the community, but he kept refusing. So after a while, they were like, basically, fuck you. And so after some complaints now from the locals and their complaints are related to having their traps tampered with or moved and finding these their own traps, you know, hanging from trees. So they f- they figured that Johnson was tampering with them or even maybe witnessed him tampering with them. So the Royal Canadian Mounted Police get involved. And upon hearing these complaints, of course, they go to investigate and do their due diligence. And when arriving, Johnson basically told them to take off so the people that were there working for all these years prior have every right to be pissed off. Not to mention that they probably didn't like when he pointed a gun at them. That that usually... Oh, wait, wait, I po- pointed a gun at who, Chris? Who? <laughs> I, I am, I'm assuming at the local trappers that, that maybe confronted him. Uh, this is the story that the RCMP are, are gathering once they arrive. Hearing this, two men uh, by the name of Constable... Alfred King and Special Constable Joe Bernard decide to head up the day after Christmas. And what they are now doing is taking a lovely 60-mile trek up to Johnson's cabin now to approach him about these allegations and get some more information. So the men make their way up to the cabin. They arrive at the cabin and they see that there is indeed smoke coming from the chimney. So they know that this cabin is inhabited. Johnson refuses to talk to them, and when they try to peer in through the window, Johnson blocks the window up with a sack. So he's acting very suspicious at this point. And since, and even in 1930s Northwest Territory rules, they cannot enter without a search warrant. Come back with a warrant. (laughs) Can you imagine that? (laughs) Trekking 60 miles through all that shit just to be like, no, not letting you in. And they had no choice, Chris. They they had to go do it. Being the law-abiding constables that they were, they did indeed leave and seek out a search warrant. 
which they obtain. And five days later, this time with two other men, they return. Again, Johnson refuses to speak. And now, with a search warrant, they are able to enter the cabin, and they do, and they force the door open. And as soon as this happens, Johnson shoots one of the men through the door. Self-destruct sequence activated. And this person that he shoots is Constable Alfred King, who thankfully does not succumb to his wounds, and he's able to go back and eventually recover. But now we have a bigger issue on our hands. We have somebody that's armed and now has shot a member of the RCMP. So you could bet that they're coming back and my man, there's no better time. And I'm glad we're able to use this word. They gather up a posse. (laughs) A.K.A. Angry Mob. (laughs) This is two in a row. Yes. I mean, what a dick. I mean, talk about escalating the situation to... uh... (laughs) A degree that you can't come back down from. They were basically trying to get him to get his trapping license, and I'm sure they would throw some fines his way. But if you're walking around with $2,000 in your pocket and you're able to buy all his equipment, the fines would probably be nothing for uh, Johnson to handle. So we're dealing with someone that is obviously very antisocial and probably mentally disturbed, I'd guess. And we don't really know what it is that he's hiding. Clearly, he doesn't want them to see inside this cabin. So is he just being very protective of his things, doesn't want anyone to enter? But pulling a gun and shooting seems, uh, you know, a, a very terrible way to uh, keep the police from from coming after you. I mean, now you've got to know that, you know, they're coming strong this time. A bit extreme, right, Chris? Extreme indeed, and so extreme measures are taken. You may ask. (laughs) I haven't asked anything. (laughs) Well, wait for it. What did this posse consist of, or who? And that was nine men, 42 dogs, (laughs) and 20 pounds of dynamite. Now, what would they need the dynamite for? My man, they're not messing around. If old Albie doesn't come out, they're going to blast him out of there. So, of course, as you had mentioned, the initial encounter took place in late December. So we're looking at an average temperature of minus 12 degrees. So the issue that the RCMP ran into is that they had to warm up the dynamite. They weren't able to get it to be explosive at that point due to the freezing conditions. So some of the guys were actually warming up the dynamite inside their jackets. They ended up warming up a couple of sticks enough and uh we're able to launch one inside of albert's cabin so whilst they did throw a stick of dynamite on the cabin it only did partial damage to the roof causing it to collapse in but you know perhaps maybe at this point i'll be uh figures hey you know i'm, I'm in over my head there's a, a posse outside and they have sticks of dynamite Perhaps maybe he just would bring his wrists forth in the air and surrender. Isn't that what he did? Well, let me say this, Chris. Wrong you be, pal. How's it feel? Wrong you be. No, the old uh, mad trapper here went apeshit crazy and started firing at the group. So we have a collapsed cabin with a madman inside taking on, as you had said, Chris, a posse of police officers, (laughs) a plethora of dogs. 
He's just fighting everybody. And get this, Chris, for all intents and purposes, he wins because the group had to retreat. They fucking split. Now we're at the point where it's 4 a.m. and they decided at this point with the temperature being negative 40 degrees Fahrenheit. And by the way, we're at the point where Celsius and Fahrenheit have officially met. That's how fucking cold it is. <laughs> they retreat to Aklavik for further assistance. They split. They regroup. <laughs> and then, Chris, a blizzard hits, making the conditions even worse. So the reinforced group return to Albert Johnson's cabin on January 4th of 1932, only to find out that Johnson had fled. That's right, Chris. He was no longer at the cabin. So they start a search. They pick up on a scent. And two plus weeks later, they do locate him on January 30th. And guess what, Chris? Another firefight broke out. And this time, unfortunately, someone died. That is correct. Unfortunately, uh, after not being able to get the job done the first time around and having to set out and come back again, Constable Edgar Millen gets shot through the heart by Johnson, uh, and of course that, that kills him. Well, get this. Once again, they have to retreat after oh, this happens. Oh, come on, man. And now the posse is has grown even larger <laughs> this is ridiculous they even call upon locals and, I, and when i say locals i mean actually native americans that are have been un- enlisted so it's at this point where this posse now in, how many in, how many people we have in this posse chris four or five thousand people at this point <laughs> can you imagine <laughs> they now have blocked off there's only two passes over the richardson mountains so they block both of these passes figuring that he's got to come through one of them well that didn't stop old albie because uh he makes a glorious escape by climbing seven thousand feet come on man to the peak of this mountain and disappearing once again (laughs) so we're talking negative 40 degrees and, and and that's below the tree line what the hell could the temperature be at 7,000 feet. Dude, I, I don't even know if if they're aware that temperatures exist that cold at that time. So at this point now, in, in complete desperation, they actually have to hire a post-war vet by the name of Wilford Wap May, who is an aviator. So they actually have this guy who works with Canadian Airways to help by scouting through the air. So now they've, now they've recruited a plane, a, 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 you know, an, an aviator. He arrives in this brand spanking new ski-equipped Blanca monoplane. So he comes across what looks to be unusual tracks, and what he sees is what, at first glance, apparently looks to be caribou tracks, but it seems like there's something more to it. What it was was Johnson was apparently following the caribou tracks in the middle of the river, and he was doing this to basically disguise his tracks from anyone looking for him absolutely brilliant i i mean this this dude is if he wasn't an ex-spy for for some military i would be surprised i mean this guy was rambo before stallone they drew first blood not me (laughs) the rambo of the arctic upon closer look may actually radios in now that he does in fact see what looks like tracks and so Come February 17th, they actually find or encounter the area where Johnson is. 
But we're talking almost two and a half weeks that this guy is out there in these conditions. This is crazy. Do we understand the magnitude of this, Chris? The, the fact that he has not frozen to death is just mind-boggling. Yeah, it's insane, man. But he did it. And Chris, let me add, and I hate to give it away, but he made a clean escape. He made it. He survived without being caught. Am I right? <laughs> Chris! <laughs> Bill, you're on a roll. You, are, you have never been so wrong. Oh, no. What happens? Well... This posse rounds the bend of the river. They see Johnson up ahead only a few hundred yards right in front of them. And old Johnson makes a run for it. But unfortunately, and I can only imagine how much snow is on the ground at this point, he is without snowshoes. So uh, he doesn't make it very far. And yet another firefight breaks out. You gotta have those snowshoes on. (laughs) And upon another firefight breaking out, Johnson shoots yet another officer, and this time he, he is seriously wounds this officer, so he has to be flown by none other than Alfred May, the one who found Johnson's tracks, and over to seek immediate assistance. So old Wop, the uh, pilot here, he, he's involved in everything. I, I mean, that was the best decision they made. So this dickhead, Albert Johnson, has now killed one and wounded two. Yes, un- under three different firefights. But... Unfortunately, that was the end of the line for old Albert Johnson. (laughs) And fortunately for the RCMP and the lovely people of the Northwest Territories. At this point, this guy seems indestructible until he actually gets shot. And the shot that hit him went through his vital tissues, main arteries, and eventually this led to his death. So upon his death, they (laughs) came to the realization, this is crazy, that Johnson, the old mad trapper here, traveled 85 miles away from his cabin by foot, Chris, by foot, in negative 40 degree temperatures, blizzard-like conditions. He was out there for over a month, for 33 days, and he said that he was burning approximately 10,000 calories a day. I'm lucky if I burn that in a month. (laughs) Clearly, it wasn't this guy's first rodeo. He he knew too much about this type of terrain and how to survive in it. I'm assuming it is possible. I mean, we're thinking he came through Alaska, right? I mean, he's... I mean, that's the only thing that would make sense unless he came across from some of the Scandinavian countries. <laughs> On raft, mind you. <laughs> On a homemade raft. <laughs> Those countries are not... Um... Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Those countries? Watch your step, pal. They're not unfamiliar with those type of temperatures. Indeed. But uh, this is crazy. You know, upon examining the body even further, they found that in addition to the money he was carrying, dude, and still had about $2,000. So, I don't know. How this guy is still carrying around, you know, in today's money, $36,000. But in, in addition to that... He was carrying around some gold. He had a razor. He had a dead squirrel and a dead bird. And get this, Chris. Laxatives. If you're burning 10,000 calories a day, the last thing I'm assuming that you want is uh, laxatives. You don't want to shit out those remaining few calories you got inside your body. (laughs) Maybe that was the key to his success somehow. (laughs) These laxatives. (laughs) But... 
you, you have to assume that the dead squirrel and the dead bird were sources of food for him, you know, high protein and whatnot. So that's probably the only thing that kept him going. But, Chris, this is almost 100 years ago, almost a century ago, and this guy is still an enigma. We consider ourselves out, you know, rugged outdoorsmen, but... Uh... <laughs> we are indeed rugged outdoorsmen, but... <laughs> I mean, I even doubt that we are on this level. Well... You know, we, we go outside and hike and rake leaves occasionally, so uh, I would say uh, we would... We're, we're right up s- there. Well, well, Chris, <laughs> let me just throw this out at you. It's 34 degrees here in New York, and I have to walk from the BTCRF into my house, which is probably about 20 yards away. <laughs> my man, I hope you've bundled up. <laughs> so I want to know what the Mad Trapper has on me, Chris. Not much. <laughs> So, I mean, that's it. That's the case of the Mad Trapper. And get this. This guy is still a douchebag from beyond the grave, Chris. So one of these channels did a documentary on this guy, and they ended up trying to dig up the grave. And the natives of the area were like, you know, no, we don't disturb the dead here. Sorry, take your shit elsewhere. So then some negotiating behind the scenes went on. They then allowed the crew to dig up the grave they give them 24 hours so then they started digging up the noted location of johnson's grave only to realize two things chris one there was permafrost so it was nearly impossible to get through and two when they did make it through johnson was not there they had the wrong location but lo and behold they did end up finding the correct location and they were able to dig his body up. And apparently from an article I just read, they did extract some DNA and were trying to find out exactly who this guy was. Upon analysis of the DNA, they were able to uh, identify some of his ancestors from Swedish towns because it was uh, thought that this guy was Scandinavian. <laughs> but... The only uh, relatives that they could find, unfortunately, died in the mid-1800s. So, uh, they're still... uh, So, as you say, they had to go back to go forward. They had to go backwards to go forward. (laughs) But but unfortunately, in this case, there was no going forward, because that's where the trail ends. (laughs) And uh, they're still currently looking for uh, more uh, possible matches, but as of today, in 2021, there are none, Chris. So, uh, Albert Johnson is still sticking it to the man from beyond the grave. <laughs> so that's it, Chris. That is the story of Albert Johnson, the mad trapper of Rat River, the man responsible for the largest manhunt in Canadian history. So, Chris, we're both running on fumes, so we might as well just close it out. But I should mention, Chris, I will be sharing next week, bud, my spiritual awakening, which I told you about tonight. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, it will coincide nicely with what we're discussing. But uh, I hope uh, everybody finds it interesting because I will be sharing it whether you want to hear it or not. But uh, <laughs> with all that said, Chris, let me get the rundown and we can get the hell out of here for tonight. If you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us at btcpod2020 at gmail.com or you can get us on Facebook. Between the Cracks Podcast, Instagram, Between the Cracks Podcast. If you want to become one of our lovely patrons, please feel free to do so. That will be in the show links. So with all that said, why don't you say we wish to find, fine people out in podcast land the fondest. Oh, 
a farewells. Bad? I mean, it's still fucking quicker than we do our regular episodes. Yeah. It's-